Charlie Gladstone here and welcome back to the Mavericks podcast. This is episode 14, amazingly. Uh, We've got a long way. Thank you very much as ever for coming and joining us. Today's chat is with Paul McNamee, who is the editor across the UK of The Big Issue. Um, I've been fascinated by The Big Issue for a long time. It's just celebrated its 25th birthday. And um, in many ways, it's become part of the cultural landscape of Britain. I think kind of all of us that live in cities or have lived in cities or passed through cities know about it. And um, I've got to know Paul a little bit over the course of the last year, and he came to give a talk, in fact, at the Good Life Experience this year, which was absolutely brilliant. So I asked him if he'd sit down with me and have a chat, and he very graciously said yes. Um, Paul has been nominated or has in fact won the British Editor of the Year twice in the last four years. And I, I really like him. He's a, he's a, a really eloquent and um, interesting and politically engaged and passionate man. And um, I think he's doing something obviously important, but also very interesting, which we'll talk about with the big issue. We sat down in the British Library, which is a great place to record a podcast. Um, I'm not actually a fan of the extension of the British Library from the outside, but once you get inside, it's a sort of magical world. Walking from the Tube station um, at King's Cross, which is only about 150 metres, I should think, maybe 200 metres, and I passed two, if not three, big issue sellers, which says something not only about the area, which is a busy area, but also about the importance and impact of the magazine. Anyway, um, I want to start with a quote which I reiterate during the talk, and that comes from John Bird, the legendary founder of The Big Issue. He said... The poor, it would seem, had traditionally been seen as those that you do something to. And the big issue is about, I suppose, that's the end of the quote, the two bit, is about doing something for and with the poor. Anyway, um, without further ado, um, here is me talking to Paul McMahony in the British Library in late September 2017. You have been named Magazine Editor of the Year. Twice. Yeah. Which is amazing. Thank you. Is that, you think, because you've affected this kind of profound change in the direction of the magazine? Because, I mean, it's, it's, I've watched it go from being a kind of, I think, not really knowing what its content was, you know, being clear, it's being very clear what it is in terms of what its purpose is. But there was a time when it wasn't really clear what you were going to get when you read it, or it was perhaps just the same as Time Out. And now when you read it, you get a very clear, vision or I do of what it's you know it's opinion it's political is is that well it's very good of you to say it's I mean it's hard to say if that is why why the awards come the awards are really really lovely you know I can't say they're not they're they're really really delightful part of the thing that I wanted to do when I took over was to to make the magazine clear Um, and up until that point there had been it had been a kind of disparate group of ideas and people because there have been editions, so there was a Scottish edition, a Welsh yes. edition, uh, a southwest of England edition, a London edition, and each of these editions had editors and, and teams, some larger than others, and there were um, design teams and ad sales teams, and everybody <clears throat> was beginning to compete. So they were competing for the same content, for the same ad revenue. Uh, sometimes. You know, one region would say we'll feature this interview, and another would say, "Well, we'll we'll do a better job." 
was ridiculous. Mm. And there was no, there was no clear site to say this is how we're going to take it over three, six, twelve months. So the, the because a that was expensive and b it was nonsensical. The the board decided they were going to put it all together as one. Right. And so that's when I came in to take okay. over. So when was that in 2012? 2011 or? into 12. And I'd been Scottish editor for a couple of years before then, and we were doing all right, and we changed things around there, and we were having some success, and we were putting on sales, and it, it was going the right way. So we, first of all, we just tried to tidy things up. I mm. uh, tried to make the magazine do what magazines should, and without too much change ultimately to begin with, say, well, that's not necessary, that doesn't make us terribly different from, as you say, Time Out or something else. What is it, and then after you, after about a year of trying to bring it together, which is tricky because there's a lot of contracts to sort out and people yeah. have been there a long time. And you then begin to say, well, what is it that we're trying to do? And it was at that point, maybe around early 2013, maybe, that I really sat down and uh, John Bird, who's the founder and yeah. editor-in-chief, and me, you know, we talked and we met and we, we just talked about what the big issue needs to do, where it needs to go, so from there, it's been a, a progression to because where we are now. Because there's this thing, isn't there, where the big issue, it's amazing actually how young it is, 25, because it feels to me like for anyone who lives in a big city, it's part of the cultural landscape. You can hardly remember a time when it wasn't there. I mean, ev I think almost everyone who is a Londoner or a Glaswegian or whatever will, will know what the big issue is. But I, I have this idea that also it, it's, it's harder, that, and they know what the purpose of it is. I mean, yeah. they may not know the mathematics of the split yeah, of, yeah. The, of the money or the rest of it. But then it's very hard to get them to, to I imagine, to understand that it's a, a really worthwhile read and that there's something of real substance they can't get elsewhere yeah. in there. I mean, that was one of the... And that remains a big hurdle, but that was, I think, the first big hurdle to get over because the mission remains as it always has been, hand up, not a handout. Uh, vendors buy the magazine from the, the big issue, they pay half the cover price, then they sell it. And that's the business model. So ultimately, the business gives away half its money to begin with. Mm. And that's, that's the starting point. So yes, you're right. People were aware of that. They had a vague sense or a clear sense in a lot of cases that this was the homeless magazine. That's what it was there for. And it had been in the streets of Britain for so long, it felt like a permanent fixture. And everybody, I think a lot of people who got in touch said they felt so invested and it was almost like it was the NHS. You know, everyone had an opinion on how it should work and should mm. work better. So what you want to do then is, to, as an editor, what I wanted to do is stop people buying it as a pity purchase, you know. Yes. And, and stop just saying, well, here's a wee bit of money, you keep that son, or here's a bit of money, I'll take on the magazine, but I'll never read it. Yeah, which, which, hap which happens, I imagine, quite a lot, or used to happen. It used to happen. I'd, I'd hope it happens less. I'd imagine it still happens. But I think as it was maybe in the early days that people were desperate to find out what was in it. Because in the early days, I, when I took over, I looked back over the early editions, and it was a mess, really, you know. It, it was, wasn't well designed. Some of the, the ideas were all over the place, but it had real attitude. Yes, well, you know? that's because your founder has yeah, real that's attitude. Right. It yeah. had a real attitude to it and a real sense of wanting to do something. And that just, you know, bounced off the page. And I, I don't remember buying it in 91 because I, I wasn't living in England. So it was, I, I think at that time, it must have felt like a revolution, you know. The, I, I remember and, and buying it option. then, and I think it became just a thing that you kind of felt you had to do. Mm -hmm. But then, in this kind of environment, it's pretty hard to keep a magazine going for 25 years, whatever it is. Yeah. 
Um, and I suppose that you probably have to create more change than most magazines, or I imagine you do. I mean, if you're, you know, I assume if you're a men's magazine or a music magazine or a fashion magazine or a woman's magazine, you kind of know what your direction is. Yeah. But you're, you don't really, per se, have a defined direction. Well, you see, you're, you're, you're getting really close to a lot of the, the, the issues that I've wrestled with and that we had to wrestle with. And one of the things, in order to make people buy it, you had to think, well, what, what is it that people want? What will they come for? What is the unique thing that they will come to the big issue for? Because, like you say, you know, if it's a men's magazine, here, here might be some good-looking girls, here's some cars, here's something of music. Mm. If it's uh, a fashion magazine, you're, you're either high street or you're cutting edge. You know, you, you, mm. you know where you are. So I, I, I really, and I, and I know that this is really on, a, I'm waving my hands around a lot, but I, I stopped thinking about these kind of vertical silos. So I, I had to stop thinking 18 to 25, interested in X, Y, Z, that means this is the magazine for you. And I started thinking of it as a horizontal line. And so it goes from age 15 to age 90. Mm. And rather than think of putting a load of bits and pieces and, and, and defining by narrow niche, I thought of the interest, the things that interest people right across. So I started trying to be an interesting magazine for people with interests. Yes, okay. And so yeah. you start to think, well, what is that? What is it that we can do that others can't? Well, we can challenge authority. So how do we find ways that challenges authority and authority figures that will bring all these age groups together. Who are the people that interest them? Who are the people that can answer questions that they have? Who are the entertainers that we can ask questions that aren't asked in a way that other people are asking? Mm, mm. So you, rather than thinking... Yeah, so people say, I read a really good piece by X. I've read 50 pieces about him or her, but I read a really good one in, in the big issue. That's the kind of aim, isn't it? It's really interesting. You can get, you know, you can read 100 pieces about Radiohead and then you get one guy who interviews um, Adam Buxton interviews Johnny Greenwood and suddenly you kind of see another angle and you think that's exactly what great journalism should be doing. Sometimes it is really down to, to the writer and, and we're lucky that over time we've been able to develop a stable both of house writers and of people that we have brought in but also sometimes it's the format so we have for instance a really great piece in the magazine that's been there for a number of years now called Letter to My Younger Self and what that grew out of was a need to delve deeper in an interview in a short space of time. Yes. In, in a lot of celebrity interviews, people say, oh, I don't want to talk about anything personal because they don't, they don't want to reveal the thing of where they yeah. are at the moment. The only but, thing of meaning. Yeah, but the thing that they will open up about is how they used to be. And if people reminisce and that there was slightly, it might be rose-tinted or, or, or a, a, a view of their past that they're happy to talk about, if you can unlock that, you, you're in. Mm. And so later to my younger self, the idea is that it's them now talking to their 16-year-old self, giving advice, saying, look, I know what you're like, son, don't worry. And it has been, I think, the best thing that we've carried. Yeah, I think it's, it, yeah, it's a very so, good piece. Well, yeah. uh, good, thank you. Uh, uh, and so we get people who just open up. I'm mean, a really good journalist who does it, and she's been doing it for a long time, and she kind of knows how to push buttons. Um, but she also takes time, she does research. So when somebody says, oh, when I was 15, this happened, she's able to say, well, is that because X, Y, or Z? And they go, oh, right, you are interested. Yes. And so what I want the, the, the journalist to do is, is learn from that. Do the things that journalists are supposed to do. Show interest in, in people. Take time. Don't just quickly 
do some Googling and then have a glib interview that yeah. doesn't do Which is what, let's be honest, which is what 99% of, of interviews with known people yes. are like. Yes, and, I, and I, don't, I don't necessarily blame journalists because they're, they're either caught in a, uh, in a, a, a job that that demands that pace mm. and that turnover. They just have to, to and the finances that. particularly. Now Absolutely, they, they can't yeah. go out and do it. Uh, you know, we, we used to. It wasn't that long ago. I was flying to San Diego to cover U2, staying in really great hotels just for a live gig review. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. Now you're lucky if you get to go to Birmingham. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so, the, and and also I think journalists aren't always encouraged because there's a compact drawn between their bosses and the PR of, of particular stars to say, right, we know that this is the thing that you want to reveal. We'll make sure we reveal it and you'll get sign off on editorial or pitch. Yes. And we yeah. never do that. No. We never do that. We, if we get asked for sign off, we just pull we just it. Won't do it. We yeah. just won't do it. And we, you, you know, you've obviously had, ex- I mean, I don't want to linger on this, but you've obviously had extraordinary support from one or two um, major figures like George Michael, for example. George Michael is the, George Michael and, and I guess the Stone Roses are, are the two that the big issue is, is, these two pillars that the big issue is built on in, in many ways. George Michael especially, um, and every, uh, everybody who comes in, we try and hardwire this information into them so that it becomes a memory that they don't shake. George Michael in the 90s wasn't really talking to anybody, went to the big issue, and he started talking, and he revealed, he talked openly about sexuality for the first time, um, and he, it was a great interview and he, he did talk honestly and that helped the big issue and that propelled the big issue and it showed that they could get the biggest stars to open up. And subsequently, through the last, well, 20 years until his death at Christmas, over eight, at each period when he wanted to do something, he came to the big issue. Amazing, yeah. Uh, and it wasn't, I mean, George wasn't always easy because he, he was... He was a sensitive man, and he was. You had, Things you had were to very be, complicated. Yeah, I it, was, it was difficult yeah. for him. Yeah. Um, but we we were aware of what it meant to the big issue to have that come along, mm. uh, and you know, I think the big issue owes him a huge, huge debt, and owes his family. It's funny how he. I mean, I I actually very unfashionably think that his um, "Listen Without Prejudice" is one of the best pop albums ever made. (laughs) I genuinely do. I I love it, and people don't. You know, people are like, "What?" But it is. But but I think that what's interesting about him is he's only really become sanctified since he died. Everyone just thought it was a joke before he died, and suddenly all these stories started to come out. You know, that are that are minor versions of your story about him doing good stuff and giving money to people, but doing it in the way that the best kind of benefactor. I, I mean, I do. loved some of the, the stories because he, he'd be watching um, some weepy mid-afternoon TV show and send them money. Send them money yeah, you know, eight grand for your wedding or whatever. amazing, but, um, amazing things. So, you, you know, you're creating this magazine which is full of, of really interesting, deeply thought-out content. I imagine that the, the, the really big challenge is communicating to your customers, you know, me and everyone else sitting around us here, that actually this is something worth buying because... I've, I've had this sense. I've bought many big issues. I've not been, and I've also given people money out of pity and said I don't want to read it. There have been mm. periods I've done that. Um, I imagine that, that it is quite hard to, without sort of advertising budgets and all the rest of it, to, to communicate to people this is genuinely something worth buying. Yeah. Well, we, if we go back then to when, when I took over and when we changed things around, the cover wasn't always been used terribly well. It looked like it was for a newsstand rather than for the street. So it was doing all the things that you're taught to do with the magazine. It was the right 
size, the right point size for me and text. There was a hot spot where this thing was. There was all these different elements but it's the not cover. purchased in the same way it's not purchased in the same way at all yeah. so it was following these rules and i thought this is crazy so we stripped it all back we changed the masthead we made the masthead neater smaller and we just said right this is a this is a poster this is a billboard we can't you're right people don't browse the magazine and we don't have a big budget to tell them what's in it so we've got to make that moment on the street the 20 foot rule as we called it we got to make it work. So the magazine cover has to have something from 20 feet that we'll, yeah, we'll connect. Like a, an incredible, what, just simple thing like a bright color. It on could the, be a bright yeah. color one week. It could be the, an incredible face on the other. It could be something typographic. It could. It just needs to be something that makes you glance twice or arrests you, pulls you yeah. in. And then after that, you're there. Ideally, a vendor will tell you something about what's in it. They might let you take a look through it. But I think once you're engaged in the moment that you see the cover and, you, and you're going to buy it, you're going to buy it. Yeah. Now, we found that social media has been a real boon for us because okay. it's a free advertising yeah. um, tool. And what's best for you, Twitter or...? Twitter and Facebook for okay. different age groups. Twitter works um, with the cover, and I sometimes design the cover also as how, how it looks on someone's phone. Um, that's another reason to keep it simple. And Twitter allows us to just send information out, yeah. just send it out, yeah. uh, and then people come back. You know, there's real communication that way. They'll tell us what works, what doesn't work. We can see how people are reacting very yeah, quickly. By retweets and all that. All sort of thing. that sort of but thing. But I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that I think that I read the entire contents of this week's magazine online before I bought the magazine. I mean, you, you've obviously no. Okay, quite a lot of it's online, isn't it? Mm, well, no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yes, and no. Three or four of the main articles in the first half of it are online at the moment. So, well, so your founders one, yeah, your piece, yeah, um, certainly a couple of other ones. Well, what we do, we, we put the columns up, so we okay, use the columns. The columns. Okay, so the, uh, meat, so the the sort of real meat of the so opinion. So whether it's John's opinion piece or my editorial, we, we get those out there because they they essentially they the. Um, the framework for what the magazine is that week. Not in a way that says this is what's in the magazine, but a kind of tonal, um, a tonal brush to say this is, this is what you're, where you're going to be this week. And we, I don't think that people buy the magazine for those particular pieces. If I thought that that would damage a sale, I wouldn't do it. No. So I think that it'll help a sale. And then what I mean, we I'm sure I assume that's the answer, but yeah. I just kind of didn't... Well, then know. what we will do is we will take other elements of content um, and we will taste them up online so we'll take a little bit of let's say an interview and we'll align from an interview do a news story out of it and direct people back to the magazine um, we won't put a lot of the the live week content like alert of my younger self or a big feature investigation or interview we we'll certainly won't put that up in a live week we'll put it up subsequently right. but what we you know we can't live in in oh no you can't in, in i mean i just think it's, you know, it we is. have to find a way to, to make sure that we have enough online to show that we understand the absolute necessity and value of being online while still driving people to the magazine. Yeah, no, no, I mean, obviously that this is the question that everyone talks about in magazine publishing. So you're running this very professional, um, essentially fundamentally um, politically driven, opinionated, kind of perhaps middle class kind of office with with journalists yeah H how much contact do you personally as the editor have with your vendors certainly uh, a couple of times a week i'll go out and i'll talk to to vendors there's some who know who i am 
And so we'll, we'll chat about how things are doing and they'll tell me whether this cover works or that cover works and what terrible mess I'm making of it. Uh, <laughs> of course. And how the weather is great or the weather's awful or whatever it is. So the, the, there's, there's a, a, few, a few people who I'll, I know well who I'll, I'll chat to and they'll, they'll talk to me in those terms. And then there's vendors who I don't introduce myself to, I just speak as a punter and I'll buy the magazine just to see what they think of it. Mm. Um, so not in a... Oh, it is, I suppose, like a secret shopper, but not to judge them, but to no, judge no, the magazine. No, judge the magazine. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also, I, I work closely with the distribution team um, to make sure that we're producing the magazine that the vendors can sell, uh, and then they can put me in touch with vendors who either are interested in contributing or telling their story in my pitch, or you know you using different programs that the big issues involved in. So there's different levels, but, you know, several times a week. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, does it, does, do you, I mean, you're obviously, you know, I assume you're reasonably politically driven. Is that right yourself? Me as, as yes. a person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And do, do, you, do you get heartbroken? I mean, I mean, it must be, it, you know, I mean, I assume that your founder was, you know, I assume that his passion came from really being fundamentally upset by poverty and... He was in the world... The, the world of homelessness in ways that you and I will never be. You know, he, he because of of um, a real, real financial poverty when he was growing up, he was taken from the, the family home and he was put in uh, in an orphanage, which yeah. wasn't uncommon. But he, I think he found that hard, and then he was in reform school, and then he was he was street homeless and and in and out of jail and so on. Um, so he, he comes from it from a very different place than, than you or I, and his reason for setting it up was anger and also because he wanted to do something that stopped people who are homeless and totally poverty-stricken being seen as a separate species. Well, he, I think there was this brilliant quote actually in his article, which is, the poor, it would seem, had traditionally been seen as those that you do things to, yeah. which I thought was very, very, yeah. was very good. Yeah, and, and actually it's unbelievably true as well. I, I, and, and although I mean, sometimes I don't think that that comes from bad intentions. You know, I, I think no, that, of course not. I, I mean, think, I think a lot of it's times that pity purchase yeah, that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I think people are, with a, a good, you know, there's good heart and goodwill to try and do something. But what he tried to do, and, and it, that it, it totally infuses what the big issue does, is allow those people to get a sense of themselves back in a way that they can be the solution to their own. Mm. strife and their own poverty so they can they can work and they feel this is a job they go to a place of work they purchase their entrepreneurs they they do something that brings order structure and a sense of dignity back into their life that simply wasn't there and also it puts them into the world in ways that they weren't so they begin to interact so through what looks on the face of it to be a relatively simple idea somebody buys a magazine then goes and sells mm. a magazine you build a whole structural scaffold around them that allows them to build themselves up and yes. get back in and, and, and also, presumably, it's therefore also incredibly important to them when they're, you know, they and their friends are contributors as well and are, are actually kind of part of the fabric of the magazine as well. I mean, they get very yeah. jealous. Do they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, sometimes we put um, <laughs> vendors on the cover for, for different reasons uh, or we put them inside for different reasons. Um, they, they might have, there was a guy who went to Parliament, um, he was at a particular 
reception. He was speaking at it. He was, he, he, his story was incredible. He was one of the first guys who sold a big issue through an attack in a pub that changed his life. Right, like okay. That. Uh, and so we put him on the cover. And it was, you know, I thought it was a great cover and there was a lot of griping from well, other Why is he on the cover? Exactly, it's not fair. Exactly. Why is he getting all the attention? So, you know, you, you, there's, there's a bit of that. Some of the, some of the guys do want to, to write and we try and help them with it. Mm. For some of them, it's a useful tool. You know, there's a, there's a part in the back called My Pitch and we use it um, so that a vendor can tell their story. And it, it, it can be quite personal or it can be just reflective, whatever, whatever they feel they, they want to put out into the world. Vendors like doing it because it gets some extra sales. Right, you know? uh, yeah, that, yeah, I imagine that. Yeah, if you're on the, I mean, if you're on the cover particularly, you presumably have an absolutely cracking week. Yeah, yeah, and they, yeah. You know, they'll yeah. sign it and all yeah. that, so they'll be a celebrity for a while. Yeah, but it's great to be able to, to do that. Um, but you can, obviously, you've got to balance out that with some stories that vendors might bring to you that aren't true. You know, they're just fabrications yes. that they yes. think is going to work for them because but if then, you're living by your wits, you know, you're going to do what you can yes. to, to get by. Yeah, but there's no way you can do, make the distinction between those unless they're quite clearly, you know, well, unless they've been there's, to the there's, moon there's a couple of, there's a, Well, there's a couple of guys who are distribution who have been around a while who are smart. Peter Bird, John Bird's brother, is head of distribution and he is one of the most streetwise guys okay. I have ever met. I mean, John, John's smart, but he's been in, in rarefied air for a while and he'll be really annoyed if I said that. But Peter, <laughs> you just said it. I just said it. Peter is. He's, he is. He smart. knows when he's, someone's yeah, he is when, tough. when someone's he trying to pull the wool over his yeah, eyes. Yeah. 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 So, um, it. I think that I'm right in saying this is one of the biggest social businesses in the UK, if not the biggest. I believe that's the case. Yeah. How how much have you got to do with? I mean, we we touched on this earlier, but with with Big Issue Invest or the the shop. I mean, increasingly, more increasingly rather. Um, initially, just so that there's a bit of um, uh, explanation to to both. Big Issue Invest was set up ten years ago or eleven years ago as an, uh, a vehicle, an investment vehicle for organisations, businesses, rich individuals who wanted. You had a bit of money and they wanted to put it into something that they felt would do good in the world. But it also, the notion of a return is there, so it's investment exactly. rather than charity. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So. Yeah. And so they, they have built different, um, uh, different parts of it over time with huge, huge amounts of money that have invested in, I think, over 300 different organisations so right. far that vary wildly. You know, they, and they're all founded by homeless people or people who were homeless. The investments? Yeah. No, 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 no. The, the, the founders of the companies. Not are, necessarily. No, no. no that, I think to begin with, there, there, was a, there may have been an attempt to look to that, but then it grew so that they, then they were social enterprises, right. essentially. So it, um, and now it's, it's social business. It, it's a little wider. Mm. So it can be... It can be an organisation in a town or a village that's trying to keep some aspect of that town or village alive, whether it's a, some community centre or uh, there was investment, um, there was talk about, or no, in fact, they did invest in a steam train line up in the Scottish right, borders. Okay. But it's, the money that will then go in 
that will that will help the local community and also will get back they'll get returned to invest it so they can grow okay. and do so, more. so actually so it's only loosely associated with homelessness i mean it's well, just tr- i mean it's just trying to do something good yeah. with, with the money as well that's as making right, a profit that's right and it's 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 impact it's social impact so it's it's making sure that that money doesn't just provide a return for the investor although they do look to provide mm. a return for the investor but that, that money has a social impact that's got a tail to it that will go on and echo down. But isn't that always the thing that in many ways has distinguished the big issue from being charity or pity is that it ha- is actually managing to combine sort of ethical trading and profit. And I mean, that, isn't that the kind of, that's the sort of notion behind it, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's, I mean, um, it, the big issue is a social enterprise. So money made is returned. Re- returned. Profit made is returned. But nonetheless, it is encouraging the people on the street to make yeah, money. and, and we mean, have to make money to grow. You know, we we don't get money. The big issue doesn't get money from central government. There's not a big wad of cash sitting there. If we don't sell magazines and sell advertising, we're good. Yeah, you know, there's there's no safety net. We so have to go out wh- and do wh- it. Why? So has the big issue ever approached government for funding? Or? No, I think. That I, no, let me be a little clear. That I think there's probably been conversations at different points. Um, that I haven't been involved in, but I know that there's been talk about it. But I think John has been clear that he wants this to be a business that, mm. that stands on its own, that isn't charity, that shows that you can do this, that you can, you can put together something that people said simply wouldn't work. You can allow people to build their own futures from something that people said simply wouldn't work. Mm and that it can grow to have these tentacles that go into invest so it's impact across Britain that can grow to other magazines across the world that both are sister big issues or inspired by the big issue and that at no time has there been state aid to, yes. to prop this up. That yeah. it's, it's a business. Yeah, no, and, and, and it, it's interesting to me. So there's now the online shop Yes. And, and and you've got this initiative to sell a million tea towels at the that's moment, right. which is amazing. Yes. So that's a million. Five pounds does seem a bit cheap for a tea it towel. It does, but, rather. Um, but anyways, but that, that's still amazing. Have you, uh, have you ever toyed with the idea of, of other products, whatever they might be, being sold on the street? Or is that just too difficult I in think terms of legality of street hawking or whatever yeah, the word yeah. I mean, is? The, the, the Peddlers Act, the old Victorian Peddlers Act, is yeah. one that, that we use quite a lot to... Um, explain our right to sell the magazine because but it, it just intrigues me so because the, the, you know, know there are there are I mean I have no idea what they are because it's not like you know I haven't really thought about it but I mean I, I'm thinking about the sort of opportunities for what else you I mean looking at the shop which you're obviously giving a big push to at the moment that's right and and, and seeing the stuff and kind of understanding where this stuff comes from because a lot of it's made by people who are invested in the big issue isn't it it's not just any old stuff I mean it's got a sort of a lot of pe- not all of it, but some of it is people who are, are, are genuinely kind of interested in, in what you're doing. It, it's, yes, and also it's, it's the idea that the, these organisations, again, through sales and through their profit, are helping others yes. to, to affect positive change in their lives. But, but So I, I'm sort of thinking to myself, well, you know, why can't at Christmas time, why can't big issue sellers be selling whatever it is? I don't know. I mean, Easter eggs at Easter. And can, I, can I be honest? Yeah. Because it would be really fucking hard. Okay. <laughs> and because at Christmas especially, we need to sell a lot of a magazines. Lot of magazines. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, we still, we, we do well. You know, we, we sell a lot of magazines. We're now getting to the point where our paid for magazines are 
beginning to challenge some of the free magazines right, per okay. week for the for that, volume. Is that right? So what is the circulation at the moment? Uh, it's, we do, our ABC is around 82,000. Okay. And I, I'm pushing hard that we can increase that. We have two years consecutive growth, which is really unheard of. So we're, if, I can, if I can get another year, three years consecutive ABC growth, you know, that's... And then that changes the whole advertising game. It helps advertising. I think, I mean, with advertising, ultimately, I think advertising in, in magazines is going to fall away paid for advertising because it's, it's um, a traditional standard, you know, here's a page, buy it. That's going to go because they'll find other routes. And what we have to do is work on partnerships. So rather than rely on X amount of money per week coming in for paid for ads, we have to think a bit more cleverly about it, whether we tie in with particular brands who we agree with for some something beyond simple display ads. So what happens if one of those um, deeply vulgar um, kind of luxury businesses comes into you and says, um, you know, we want to advertise our £4,000 um, booties in your magazine. How does, I mean, I'm, well, I assume they don't because I imagine that you know, they, they have such a, a clear view of what their, um, you know, what their idea is. But I mean, how, how, you know, do, I mean what happens if, if, that, if, if, your, if your growth is there and your audience is an engaged and intelligent you know, and relatively affluent audience? Well, if they paid their money. So if Louis Vuitton came the, come in and say, I want to... If they um, paid the money and took the chance and... It didn't, you know, it, it didn't insult anybody. It wasn't, no, it wasn't mean, offending on grounds of, of race or only, uh, only, only on or, grounds or of taste, like I suspect. But if, they but to, if they wanted to put their money in, yeah, uh, no, I'm, I'm intrigued because you said we'd there, you know, we, yeah, businesses we agree yeah. with, and, and if 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 they were uh, selling <laughs> arms, you know, that might be no, something, no, no, that course, might no, be something but different. I don't, but I don't tend to see many magazines but, for yeah, arms I mean, the, advertising arms sellers. I think we need to. Yeah, it, it's tricky, obviously, because you don't want to make it look as though you're, you're, you're flouncing around, showing vulgar wealth when the people who are selling that thing are on the street. No. But no. at the same time, the people who buy the magazine, you know, there's a lot of them who have disposable income. Our reader surveys tell us that some of the older readers we have paid off their mortgage, you know, they're going on cruises, they, they have mm. a bit of money. So for advertisers, there's there's yes captive market. I suppose that what I I I went off on a kind of slightly kind of pointless rant about four thousand pound booties, which anyone is entirely entitled to buy if that's what they want to spend yeah. their money on. Yeah. I suppose what I was what what I was really thinking about when I sort of framed the question and I got it wrong was, do you think that there, that those advertisers who, as you say, I assume your target, you know, your audience is partly their target audience, do you think they're still scared away from the from the magazine from the brand? The, from your brand by the kind of notion that it is actually just, you know, sold by homeless people on the yes. streets. I mean, that yes, I do. Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, because there is there's still you know, there's still a perception of, of the people who sell the magazine, a negative perception. And therefore, that will then impact on the magazine. It's less. It's lessened over the years. We've worked really hard to counter that. In, in what? In what? Well, people they just think, well, there's nothing in it. I mean, if, if there's some some homeless boy selling it, I'm not really interested in them. There's nothing in the magazine that interests me. Yeah, and, yeah. and by association, then it's not going to be things that I like. Yeah, um, yeah. 
and so there's negative connotations around. I'm just it thinking what an interesting, what an interesting challenge for a, a sort of a luxury business it would be to, to meet the customers. Well, it's funny. The it's funny. I mean, not that I have any experience of this, but you know, if, if one or two jump in and do it really well and the reaction is right, then you just think, my God, you know, that could change the whole... It could change. And we're, um, we're actively going after new markets. We, as an editor, when I started out as a journalist, just as a, uh, a simple journalist 20 years ago, a little more than 20 years ago, on a local newspaper, everything was divided. So I worked um, in, you know, doing whatever local press does, covering courts and schools and new headmistresses and all that sort of stuff. And there was an editor and he looked after that. There was a guy looking after pictures. Then there was an, an ad team. And you didn't really, the editor didn't get involved. Yeah. Uh, and when I went to the NME, it was the same. It was almost in competition, you know. The, the ad team would say, we need this number of pages. An editorial would go, oh, this is a touch of pain in the hoop. Well, oh, okay, right, fine. But now you have to engage in the commercial. Yes, of as, course. As, as an yeah. editor, you know, and you have to be not just prepared to engage and, and say, well, okay, let, let's see if we can work out some partnership that works for both. You have to go out. So I spend a lot of my time now going to agencies, going uh, and presenting to the, the, those potential clients who maybe in the past have said, well, it's not high-end enough for yeah, us, yeah. it's not really for us, saying, well, hold on, you know, this, there look is, at our readership and let's, here. Yeah. And, I, and I think there is, there is a change that I heard uh, the, the chief exec of Future Publishing here, an interesting publisher based in the, the, the West Country, talk about some of the acquisitions that they, they went on, and they, they were buying both paper and digital magazines, and she started to look at the places where things met, so they had it might be Total Rock or Metal Hammer. It's one of the, the big metal magazines. And they bought that, and they began to see and realize that they had a portal for DIY and quite high-end DIY goods. And they said, a lot of the guys of an age who like Total Rock also yes. like DIY. So they were putting them together and finding these new yes. routes to market for yeah. advertisers yeah. with their, their publications. And I think that, that kind of thinking, that smart and it it's the Venn really diagram, simple. isn't it? Where it crosses over exactly and it can so. often be in a really unexpected exactly place. Exactly so, and I think yeah. that's, that's what I... Commercially, I think that's what the big issue is. I mean, I didn't really be. mean to talk about this, but I think, you know, having been thinking particularly about the, um, about the big issue since the Good Life 10 days ago, it just kind of, you know, you begin to think these things and you, yeah. you look at the magazine, you think there's some really good quality journalism here. And every other magazine or newspaper that I read with good quality journalism, whether it's The Guardian or The New Yorker, has adverts for Rolex in it. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you know, so there must be some reason why that hasn't yeah. why that hasn't happened. But um, anyway, well, listen, if, if you I mean, or any of your listeners know anybody yeah, connected with I'd, Rolex, <laughs> send them our way. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> you never know. Thank you so much. I mean, I, it's fascinating. Thanks. That's Brilliant. quite all right. Thanks Thank for you. thanks for inviting me to do this. It's been a an honour, as was the good life experience. Oh, that was it, yeah. Well, that was yeah. That was fun. You're going to come next year, and, and I am. yeah. And just hang out. Sell hot dogs or something. Yeah. Whatever it is you need. <laughs> so that's it. Um, thanks so much, Paul, for that. I hope that you, the listeners, enjoyed it and uh, that it reminds you, if you've forgotten, to buy the big issue when you see it. 
it's too easy to walk on by and just think someone else will buy it or I, I don't like it, I'm not interested in it. Actually, it's a very genuinely good read um, with a low cover price and um, deserves your support. And if you can't support that or don't want to, then they are at the moment trying to sell a million tea towels at £5 each to try and raise money for the homeless and for their various projects. So maybe you could go online and do that. Anyway... Um, I'm recording a lot of podcasts at the moment, and so I will be back sooner, perhaps, than you want me. But I'll be there, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Bye.